Putty. Is uh, David Putty there? This is Putty. Well, this is Kramer. I know. Um, listen, you're a mechanic. Could you help me install a garbage disposal? Well, it's a big job. You've got to dismantle the latch hasp from the auxiliary drainage line. Oh, it says main line. That's a misprint. What do you got, a clerkman? Yeah. Hey, but I'll call you back. I'll talk you through it. But I don't want to be a secondary character. <laughs> Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. This is a Seinfeld podcast where we talk about the secondary characters from the greatest show of all time in random order. My name is Ivan. My name is Stacy. And I'm Stephen. Ah, Stephen, you're back. Uh, we did mention last week, because uh, Stacy was with me last week, we did say that you'd be away for a while, but uh, you're actually back sooner than we... Uh, we expected. And welcome back. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's good to, good to see you, man. Good to be back. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, good to be back. Uh, last week, or the week before, I should say, unfortunately, my father passed away unexpectedly. Yeah. So I had to head up to Brisbane to deal with that and be with family. Uh, but as part of my, I guess, recovery or dealing with it, uh, I realized that I just needed uh, a sense of normality back. Mm. Uh, and this podcast, you know, takes up a lot of my life. And it's something I love doing. It's uh, it's you know something I'm invested in in a lot of ways. Uh, so that was part of that. So yeah, I'm I'm glad to be back. It's good, even yeah. though it was only a week. Um, you know, and saying glad to be back kind of implies that you've been away for a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's just good. So I'm I'm glad to be sitting here. Well, we're glad you're here, man. Because we did say last week you were away for family reasons, but we didn't want to, you know, say anything. So yeah. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. So. so anyway. Yes. Anyway. Good to have the gang back together again. It, yeah, yeah it and it's good that you were able to be with us today, Stace. Of course. Yeah. I'd already cleared my schedule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wanna... just flicked my hair that I don't have very <laughs> <That's at right>. home. <laughs> I didn't want to come in and be like, you know that schedule you cleared? You better rebook it because I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back, baby. <laughs> yeah. Where's that rum and raisin? Ah, daiquiri ice, that'll do. Um, anyway, yes, so we are talking today about Season 9, Episode 9, The Apology. And, uh, yeah, t- uh, today we do have the three microphones, and I still don't have that third microphone stand. So no. uh, I'm holding my cylindrical shaft again for the third time in our history. So, uh, yeah, I might sound a bit, you know, off, you know, in terms of audio. There might be a few grunts. Might be a few grunts here and there. <laughs> yeah, a couple of noises. Um, so, yeah, apologies if, that, if the audio on my end is a bit strange, uh, but you two sound fantastic. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Anyway, the apology. So today we are talking about... Uh, I've got notes on a few secondary characters. So uh, Jason Stanky Hanky, played by James Spader. Uh, a few notes on Melissa, of course, Jerry's episode girlfriend. She was played by Kathleen McLennan. And uh, this is the return, I guess, of uh, Putty and Peterman. And I loved Putty in this episode. Yeah, I think he really shines through on this app. Yeah, yeah. And a, a lot of his most uh, well-known lines and scenes, for yeah. sure, in this app. Talk to me, babe. Talk to me, babe. <laughs> Stacey was saying on the drive over here how how weird but awesome it is that when he's waiting for the phone, he's just staring blankly. Oh, I know. It's, it's so kind of like yeah, when they're yeah. flying back from Sweden or whatever it yeah. is, and then Elaine's like, are you just going to sit there and stare at the back of the seat? And he's like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And, he's and just then staring. the scene comes yeah. and he's just sitting on the couch and like he's not even like reclining on the couch or sort of like in the middle. He's literally like sitting right down the end, <laughs> upright, like a fucking robot. Yeah. Just yeah. staring into space and then the phone rings and he's just like. It's like he's waiting what? in anticipation for something. Yes. Like the call, the phone to ring. Yes. Yeah, so he's good. such so a good. robot yeah. master. It kind of looks like maybe he's 
you know, practicing mindfulness, but I don't think Putty's brain <laughs> operates on that level. No. <laughs> There's no depth. You're giving him a lot work. more credit. I know. Than <laughs> yeah. 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 I was trying to find like a real reason for him sitting there and staring, but his brain is not deep enough yeah, for that. Of course, of no. course he's a very shallow guy. Um, so do you have any notes on other characters? I mean, I, I've got a few notes on the Rageaholics Anonymous leader as well. Uh, he's played by David Dunnard. Um, do you have any is notes about other characters? Hanky's sponsor? No, no, no. He's the uh, the leader. He's the guy at the, on the stage of Rageaholics Anonymous. Oh, okay. Don't call me a pinhead. Well, because there's also... <laughs> I didn't get his actual name, but Hanky's sponsor. Yeah, he doesn't have a name. sit down with George yeah. and then... Brings him along to the meeting. Yeah, he's actually just called Sponsor. He yeah. doesn't actually have a name. So, yep. yeah, we can talk about him as well. Yep. Um, so, yeah, got a few more secondary characters than and uh, Peggy. previously. Did we already say Peggy? Uh, no, but Peggy does feature in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and her jomophobic tendencies yeah. are in uh, are in play. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'm looking forward to talking about him. Uh, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed this episode. Uh, I thought it was quite good. It was definitely a, a funny, enjoyable one. Very season nine. Yeah, one of the better Starting- season nine episodes, I think. Yeah. Would you say, Steve? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I liked a couple of the storylines, but a couple I didn't really care for. Yeah. yeah. So the, the good pa- the good parts are great. The parts that I didn't care for weren't terrible, but were just kind of forgettable. Fair yeah. enough. Uh, yeah, but I guess we'll talk about more of that when we're uh, talking about where the episode sits at yep. the end of this. Mm. Indeed. But before that, uh, as we normally do, we would like to, well, I guess we can say if you want to follow us on social media, Bidwabask, B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C. Uh, we do have an email address as well if you want to say, hey, Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, if you want to uh, help us, you know, financially, you want to donate some money for the podcast to help us out, PayPal and Patreon. There are links in the show notes. And uh, I guess we can thank our current Patreon subs, Holly, Nikia and Tim for uh, swinging us money as they get some bonus content such as bonus episodes and uh, early access to next week's episode. So, uh, yeah, if you want to sign up and be like them, patreon.com forward slash bidwabask, B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C. So, Seinfeld-isms, guys. Uh, so, the intersection of Seinfeld and real life. Uh, I have nothing this week. What about you two? You got anything? No, I struck out. Yeah, yeah. I've got one. So, like okay. I said before, uh, I was up in Brisbane for about 10 days, even though the circumstances were highly unfortunate. Yeah. One, I guess, silver lining in a very, very dark cloud, though, was at my dad's wake. He oh. was at a pub in Brisbane called the Glen Hotel. Okay. And they've got a number of conference rooms, and uh, one of the rooms was called the Elaine Room. Ah. Oh, yeah. Great. So, I yeah. I think that, it was, you know. It was meant to be, it maybe. It was fate. I yeah. Think, there yeah. was some sort of cosmic <laughs> alignment there, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, on a really, really hard day. Uh, it was good to have a little chuckle when I saw that. So, yeah, that's that's my Seinfeldism. Oh, very good, mate. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I've kind of got a... It's not really a Seinfeldism, but it's kind of relevant because uh, I was staying with mum and my girlfriend came up. And uh, every night at the end of, you know, mm. each day was pretty tough. Um, but what sort of balanced it out was pretty much each night we'd watch hours and hours of Seinfeld. Yeah. It got to, uh, it got to sort of after dinner and we were like what do we want to do like because it, it's you know it's such a strange situation and I was like why don't we watch Seinfeld and mum and my girlfriend were like that's a good idea let's do that. Right. So it kind of like just it was a bit of a balm at the end of each day, mm, you know. Yeah. Who taught us to put the balm on? I told you to put the balm on. So yeah, that yeah. that you know was kind of you know, it's not a Seinfeldism per se. I think that's guess, a Seinfeldism. I think that's a, that's a definite Seinfeldism, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. That's but an intersection a very, a very point, of Seinfeld yeah. in real life. Well, yeah, a very uh, poignant Seinfeldism. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, yeah. Well, I, I guess it doesn't count 
in any other circumstance because I could just watch Seinfeldism, uh, Seinfeld every day and be like, well, that's a Seinfeldism. Like, it's, yes, it's things out. I know, I know, is I know. It? That's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. I well, think that's lovely. Yeah. yeah I know really we nice. spoke about that and I said yeah. that I thought that it was really sweet. Yeah. If in doubt, Seinfeld it out. Yep. Yeah, There's never it. a bad time. Yeah. And I'm really glad I got to meet your dad. So, um, yeah, condolences to you and, and your family. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad he was with us for an episode. Episode 10, your parents were. Uh, on the podcast yeah if you want to go down uh, go back and hear a bunch of bad jokes and and awkward sort of interactions with mum and dad in the background go back i'm sure he's still listening wherever he is so i think so he's very proud of you so yeah anyway all right <laughs> that's very emotional um so seinfeld news so Stephen, do you have any uh any news articles for this yeah week? so uh the main one uh this is mostly for australian people um jason alexander has awesomely announced a tour of australia uh, in February, mid to sort of late February next year, and I think even into early March, you'll be playing Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth, Canberra, Brisbane, and Sydney. Uh, it'll be mostly him uh, just doing like Q&A with the audience. Yeah. And I did read on the press release that you can choose topics beforehand. Um, I don't know oh, how that will actually happen. Yeah. Whether, you know, there'll be like a vote or like a survey or something like that, or it might just be, you know, call and response. Yeah. Um, and as well as the Q and A, he'll be performing some uh, some live songs. Yeah, I think. like show some, tunes. Show yes. tunes. That's the one I was looking for. I was yeah. like live music songs. <laughs> the name of his show it's going to be called The Master of His Domain. Mm. And yeah, he's bringing ah. that from he's bringing that from uh, from the US to here. So uh, yeah, he's playing. He's got gigs in Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth, Brisbane, Canberra, and Sydney. And I think we should definitely go to the Melbourne. Yeah, definitely, we talked yeah. about yeah. it on the way over here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm invested, but it depends on how much he wants for the tickets. Oh, we'll see. What's what's the most you'd pay? Well, I'm not really into show tunes, what so if, I'm only yeah, going yeah. to his like to listen to Jason answer questions. True. What so, if you got the chance to interview him? Oh, would you come? Fuck yes. Thousand dollars. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be a completely different story. Yeah, um, we have to try and talk to him. I'm keen, but <laughs> you yeah. know what you should get? You should get a really hot blonde girlfriend who goes and talks to the ticket person and gets free tickets. Yeah, nice. The schmoozer. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll work on it. I can, I can manage that between now and February. Yeah. Or she can be like Melissa. She can rock up naked and be good naked and she can frolic. I wouldn't you know, do that to someone no? I cared about. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, schmoozing someone for free tickets is different to distracting people with a naked human. <laughs> That's good naked and bad We'll naked. see how we go. Yeah, we'll see how we go. Yeah. yeah. But it could be a fun little adventure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I meant for the three of us, sorry, oh, yeah. not me and my naked girlfriend. No, of course not. Yeah. Well, he's playing more than one show in Melbourne, so you can go do the naked oh, thing on okay. another night. Yeah. Sure, yeah, you why know, not? can have different experiences. This sounds good. <laughs> uh, that's all the Seinfeld news I have, but you mentioned, Ivan, that you have one extra one that oh. I didn't pick up. Oh, yeah, just a couple. So just following on from last week, Jason Alexander tweeted about wanting to play, uh, if he were to play a Batman villain in the new The Batman film to star Robert Pattinson, he'd want to play Egghead, but a lot of people said that he'd be a better penguin. Uh, he's actually doubled down and he's decided that instead he does indeed want to play Penguin. And uh, he tweeted last week, and I quote, okay, Jonah Hill passed. Clearly the next move for Penguin has to be someone familiar with marine biology. Uh Ah. (laughs) So there you go, that works out. Yeah, I reckon he'd be a good Penguin. I'm just thinking of Penguin in uh, Batman Returns. Danny DeVito, yeah. Yeah, and he's quite like theatrical and over the top. Yeah, And, you know, Jason being a theatre actor, I reckon he'd do a real good job. Oh, he'd do really well, yeah. I think so too. I think that would work. Anyway, yeah, so producers, if you do happen to listen to this for some reason, uh, yeah, put Jason on as Penguin, please. Yep. Be fab. I'd vote second on that. That's it. And just one more article. I won't go into too much detail because it's to do with politics. Am I right? Yawn. (laughs) Yawn. Um, So the ABC, um, the Australian Broadcast, 
Broadcasting Corporation. They're like Australia's national broadcaster. Uh, columnist Patricia Carvelis uh, wrote an article saying, Australian Parliament at times felt more like an episode of Seinfeld. Um, so the Australian Parliament had a break and they came back recently to do parliamentary sittings and uh, basically very little happened, if anything at all. Mm. And yeah, it was akin to, as she quotes, a show about nothing, no plot and no stories. It's kind of concerning not to get into politics, but considering how many issues there are to solve in Australia and across the world, you think from <laughs> they should have something they, to they would hit about. the ground running. Yeah. And even if they don't resolve anything or, or come up with, you know, a specific policy direction, you think it would at least be lively, not yeah. just sitting around. Or there'd going, be something oh. to report about yeah. rather than a reporter coming back and saying, mm, yeah, nothing really happened. That's kind of concerning. <laughs> it's just like, well, what what are they doing then? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway. Well, Parliament only sits for something like 13 Two days or a year. 20 <laughs> weeks of the year. Yeah. Like yeah. it's ridiculous. They spend very little time actually like doing the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Anyway, we need that's a shake a, up. Yeah, that's, that's a, a different subject. And a different podcast exactly. too. Exactly. Um, just a, a birthday. So happy 53rd birthday to John Favreau, uh, the actor, director, you know, writer, John Favreau. He played uh, Eric the Clown in The Fire. Oh, yes. yep, yep. And he also recently directed The Lion King and uh, done a few other things. He was an Iron Man. Yeah, it's happy birthday to him. And uh, we did have a passing of a Seinfeld secondary character or an actor who played him, uh, Bill Macy. He was 97 years old. Uh, he played Herb in The Showerhead in the Cadillac. So he's oh, the one. Yeah. He's oh. the Yeah, so he's the one who says, if you say for impeachment, you're against Morty. Yeah, nice. That guy. So, uh, yeah, rest in peace, Bill. So, yes. Anyway. 97. 97, yeah. That's a good innings. Yeah, and he had an illustrious TV career as well. Yeah. Several TV shows in the 60s and 70s and uh, 80s. Nice one. Yes. Anyway, let's have a quick break, and uh, I reckon when we come back, we'll talk about the apology and some secondary characters. Hello, folks. Matt McCoy here, a.k.a. Lloyd Braun from Seinfeld, and I'm telling you right now, I do not want to be a secondary character. Hey, Seinfeld fans. We've got lots of really cool things we're planning for Bidwabask in the future. That's right. We're growing and evolving. And to help us in that process, we're asking you to take literally two minutes to answer a really small survey that we've set up. That's right. If you head to the link that's in our show notes of the podcast, we'd really, really appreciate it. We sure would. And uh, thanks so much for your support. And now on to this week's episode. Naked crouching, bad. <laughs> uh, we are Bidwabask. We're talking about the apology. Ivan, want to hit us with a plot synopsis? Yes, indeed, I shall. Hit me with your best shot, as the <laughs> Pat Benatar once said. Season 9, episode 9. Hit is me with the- your best plot. <laughs> Hit me with your best <laughs> plan And sign away Synopsis away <laughs> First aired in the US on December 11th 1997 was the apology That was in season 9, episode 9 uh, Directed by Andy Ackerman, written by Jennifer Christendon uh, George goes out of his way to seek an apology For an insult from Jason Jason Stanky Hanky, played by David Spader Every time you say oh, Jason James Spader, rather <laughs> Jeez, I said David Spader Every time James you say Spader. James uh, Stanky Jason Hanky. Stanky. I always think Mr. you're going to say Hanky? no. Jason Statham. Oh, Jason. <laughs> Jason Statham. You're right. Do yeah, they refer right. to him as Stanky Hanky? Yeah, that's right. Stanky right, Hanky. Yeah, right. that's the name that George and Jerry give to him. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, he's played by James Spader, not David. Uh, when Elaine is insulted that a fellow co-worker is scared of her germs, and that's Peggy, played by Megan Cole, and we did talk about her in the Susie episode for a bit. Uh, Putty, one of our favourite secondaries, he's played by Patrick Warburton, admits that he's a fellow germaphobe. Ten years sober. No. Say ten years sober, ten years. No, ten years. 
Yeah, what is that? He just holds out the necklace and says, What is that? It's a germ. It's a germ. It's a germ. It's a germ. Jerry. Yeah, that's right. Talk to me about that. Jerry dates a nudist. Her name's Melissa, played by Kathleen McClellan, and learns the difference between good and bad naked. And Kramer installs a garbage disposal in his shower, and he does basically everything. He cooks, he cleans, he checks the time, he does runs errands, he gets. Yeah, Talks to his done. friends. Yeah, if, that's right. If you notice in that scene, I can't remember which one it's... I think it's after he gets the garbage disposal when he's spending all of his time in there. You actually see some post-it notes for little yeah, reminders right. for him. Call, I think it's like call... Call Lomez. Call Lomez, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And then he's on the phone to Lomez like yeah. later on in the episode. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. very good. Yeah. Very good. Um, other secondary characters in this episode are Jake Peterman, um, obviously played by John O'Hurley. Uh, Jake Hallett plays Alan. Wayne Wilderson plays Walter, one of Elaine's co-workers. Uh, Brian Levinson plays Andy. David Dunnard plays the Rageaholics Anonymous leader. So he's the guy on the stage of Rageaholics Anonymous. Uh, Michael Fishman plays Greg. He's the boy at Baskin Robbins. Mm -hmm. Yes, who wants a mini ice cream. But Mm -hmm. he never gets it, unfortunately. And is the mm. sponsor... Credited as an actor, I couldn't find his acting credits. Oh, okay. yeah, really Fair weird. Enough. Anyway, well, yeah. and there's so also there's the sponsor. That the sponsor, yeah, yep. played by an un- unknown actor. Anyway, trivia for the episode. I only have a few. Uh, what did you have, Stacey? Do you have any trivia? Nope. No, Steve. Yeah, I've got a couple. Okay, yep. Cool. Uh, so in the episode when Kramer gets punched in the eye for taking notes in the men's shower. Oh yes. Uh, Jerry gives him a steak from his fridge to help out with the swelling. But back in episode uh, two of season one, the robbery. Um, Jerry clearly states that he never carries meat in his fridge. Yes, but yes, yes. I mean, it has been nine years since then, and a lot has changed. Maybe once Kramer became more of a regular scab, he started to carry meat for yeah. Kramer, <laughs> just you know, for Kramer <laughs> to eat and to also reduce yeah. swelling. Because yeah. he does black make eyes. comments throughout the show about like, I really should keep more of your favorites stocked in the fridge <laughs> he does. or whatever. He does. <laughs> Uh, or maybe yeah. he's just relaxed, you know, as Jerry's aged, he's relaxed his standards on being such a, you know, clean freak and not keeping meat in the fridge, for well, example. I think in this episode, when he gets the meat out, I think he's getting it from the freezer because he gets mm. it from the top part. But the meat itself, when, when Kramer puts it on his eye, is not it's not solid right it's mm. not frozen like it's sloppy so yeah i don't know it's weird maybe just yeah. put it in the freezer yeah maybe they're just like oh i'm going to enjoy that for dinner and then kramer knocks on the door five minutes later <laughs> and just puts his dirty face all over yeah it. um mm. elaine's curly hair returns in this episode oh yeah because she had a, a period of straight hair mm. you know in season eight and season nine so there, there you go. go yes and uh seven years earlier in the james spader susan sarandon film white palace from 1990 uh, jason alexander actually Portrayed Spader's best friend. Ah, yeah, so there you go. There's a little connection. From best there. friends to enemies. That's right. Yes. And the actor who plays uh, the kid in Baskin Robbins uh, famously plays DJ, uh, the son in Roseanne. That's right. Yeah. He, the yeah, actor he is Michael really Fishman. Famous when I was watching the episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, did I say famous? Yeah, famous. Yes. I meant recognizable. <laughs> recognizable. Very familiar. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, that kid looks famous. Yeah, his no, name's I, Michael Fishman. Right. Fishman. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes, very interesting. So that's all the trivia that I have. Uh, Steve, anything else? No, that's no. it. This uh, episode's a bit trivia light. Yeah, very, very trivia light. Anyway, we make no apologies about it. Let's talk about some secondary characters. Let's talk about uh, Jason Stanky Hanky. So he's played by James Spader. Uh, he's had a very stellar television and film career, as we all know. Very famous guy. Uh, he's appeared in the films Avengers Age of Ultron. He did play Ultron, the title character. Also in the films Sex, Lies and Videotape and Secretary. Uh, he has been in the TV shows uh, The Practice and It's spin-off Boston Legal, where he was part of the main cast. Uh, he was also in, I think, season eight of The Office, the US version, as well as The Blacklist, where he plays the main character. Uh, he was nominated for three Golden Globes, one for Boston Legal and two for The Blacklist. 
So there you, there you go. go. Yes, very highly decorated. Been actor. a busy guy. Very busy guy indeed. And uh, yes. So Jason, so what do you two think about him? I mean, obviously a recovering alcoholic and uh, definitely George. He's kind of on the edge, I think. Uh, I think um, George kind of tips him over when he's at Baskin-Robbins. Yeah. uh, Yeah, he's just really like, I think he, deep down, he still has those tendencies to become an alcoholic and to, you know, to lose himself in his inhibitions. And I think his sponsor and, you know, is trying to keep him on the edge and he's basically walking a tightrope, I think. Yeah. I mean, if anyone's going to set someone off, I think it's going to be George. (laughs) Where's that rum and raisin? Exactly. Ah. Don't you realise that we're closed? But I, I reckon there's a bit more to their history because he seems to really have it in for George. Mm. Yeah, you know, he he happily offers Jerry an apology for something that's not even really a big deal. Minor, just I just think like, yeah. his name is Gary. Legitimately yeah. <laughs> confusing his name. Yeah. yeah. Um. And you know he insulted George in front of a bunch of strangers or a bunch of people at a party. And you know, fair enough. He doesn't want his cashmere sweater stretched. Fine, but you don't have to be rude about it. You can just yeah. say, "Oh, I have this one instead." You don't have to insult him. So I reckon, I don't know whether George did something to him or he just hates him because you know it's easy to hate George. Yeah. Um. And I think he knows that George wants an apology, and I mm. think yeah, he doesn't deliver it. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think he almost sort of. Uh, almost like trolls George, you know, when he's yeah. about to say something That's and right. George thinks, oh, here it comes. And then George and goes, okay, bye. Yeah, and George yeah. is like waiting. He's yeah. Like yeah. Bursting for that. You know how he's bursting for that apology? He's like, come on, come on. And then it just, almost feels like yeah. he's fucking with him. Yeah. yeah just to like rub it in bit. even more. And even when um, George goes to see him in the ice cream shop and he sort of says, look, I, I spoke to you sarcastically. That wasn't right. I shouldn't have done that to you. You know, rah, rah, rah. Um, and then George sort of goes to turn away and then comes back and was like, well, that's all very well and good, but you didn't actually say sorry. Yeah. And then he, like you said, it sort of seems to trigger and set him off and then he's mm-hmm. straight away like, well, <laughs> I didn't want, you know, I didn't want you to stretch out my sweater and I shouldn't have to apologise for that. Yeah. And then obviously they sort of get into it and then he loses his cool and stuff like that. So, yeah, like going through, going through the – he also – he went in in the last scenes. He's walking through the meetings, and he runs into Elaine and Putty and Peggy at the germaphobes meeting. Yeah, but then he says that he's looking for rageaholics. So I found that interesting because it's like, well, does he identify that it's more so that his drinking problem continue, contributes to his anger, mm. or does his anger? mean that he drinks more as a way to calm himself down. Because obviously, like, in the beginning of the show, we see him as working the 12 steps of AA, whereas at the end of the show, he's looking for rageaholics. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was an interesting little sort of shift. Like, Mm. is he viewing his recovery journey differently because of George (laughs) setting him off so easily and, like, getting angry at a little kid in a basket at Robbins? Yeah. Well, about that, I think... Because he he fiends for the rum and raisin. Yeah, yeah, he does. But rum and raisin ice doesn't cream actually. doesn't. It just has rum flavoring. Yeah, yeah So right. I don't reckon his recovery's gone off the. You know, even though he didn't apologize to George and he's obviously had a bit of a speed bump, he's still at step nine or step ten. Yeah, yeah. So I think he could do both at once. Maybe yeah, for realize, sure. oh, hang on, I also need rage counseling. Exactly. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So and the alcohol contributes to his rage. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Bit of a it's vicious like cycle. Vicious yeah, cycle for sure. And it's weird because he says there's a daiquiri ice flavor. I've never heard of that before. Why would mm. they have daiquiri? They sell it to kids. I think that was probably a throwaway It'd line. It'd just be or like pineapple and coconut, like yeah. more of a like a sorbet flavor. Yeah. Like daiquiri, whatever. Daiquiri, yeah. Daiquiri ice. Um, mm, but yeah, like he seems, you know, like, and obviously the fact that. Um, you know, he's just started that job at Baskin and Robbins, and he's you know, a man in his mid twenty thirties, whatever. Probably thirties, like, yeah. 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 Um, so you can kind of assume that 
his drinking and all that sort of stuff because I think when Elaine first speaks about having been contacted by him, she said that she hadn't seen him for five years. Mm. So we can assume that maybe this, you know, like journey that he's been on has been going over for a period of years and he's found Mm. himself in a really tough place and has started his recovery journey but obviously, like, is without a job, has just started working at Baskin and Robbins, probably loses the job at Baskin and Robbins because of yelling at the kid and jumping in the freezer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's still very much like that challenging time for him as he tries to get himself back from it. So he seems like he's doing relatively well if you kind of extrapolate back where he might have started from yeah. on that journey. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just thought it was kind of funny because he seems to, like... He wants to do well and he wants to do the right thing, but there is that little sticky part of him that can't admit that he made a dick move by paying George out and just, like, will keep on that thing about, you know, he makes a comment about his bulbous head yeah. or whatever. So there seems like there's this, like, personal vendetta underlying yeah. that somewhere. He it clearly hates him. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly. That's what I mean when I said before that there's obviously something about their past, whether George did something to him or he just hates him for no for George's reasons. Logical reason. Yeah, yeah. But again, George is an easy person to hate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned something about um, his, like, you know, where he sort of came from. Mm. Mm. I, I would imagine that, because he seems like an intelligent, articulate guy, and he's very witty. Yeah, you know, like he sure he, is, you know, yeah. So yeah. I was thinking maybe because of his wit and, you know, his sort of sarcastic nature, Maybe he met Jerry through stand-up comedy. Mm. You know, maybe. Oh, okay. And, you know, so and, you mean he was a comedian or maybe, a, yeah. an aspiring stand-up comedian? Yeah, or like an yeah. actor or something, you know, adjacent to comedy. Within that sort of community yeah, somewhere. And, you know, and there is a cliche of stand-up comedians. It usually damaged people. Yeah. There's a lot of sadness. Mm-hmm. And with that comes a lot of substance abuse, including alcohol. Oh, so oh okay. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he's a, he was a failed stand-up comedian. Well, I think he was successful, but alcohol got the better of him and he just, you know, he, yeah. lost, he lost a bunch of gigs or he just, yeah. you know, he did something to ruin his career. Yeah. And I imagine maybe he lost his relationship and all the other things that were stable and good in his life. Yeah. And now is at the very bottom because I think, you know, to as a first step of rebuilding in terms of getting your life back together, Baskin and Robbins is a pretty like... You know, no Menial. shame. Yeah. How old are you, 15? Exactly. <laughs> and, and yeah, you know, yeah. no offence to anyone who works in Baskin-Robbins or anything equivalent. No, of course Job's not. a job. But I think it, it seems like a very uh, low point to re-enter yeah. you know, a new life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's what I thought. Oh, fair enough. Uh, and I think as well, just going off that as well, I think um, Jason obviously met Jerry. And I think he probably met George that night at New Year's mm. Eve. I think it was the first time they met. Mm. And then, you know, George said that he had the drafty apartment. Yeah. Or, or Jason yep. did. And then um, George says, hey, I need your, I need a sweater. Yeah. And then, yeah, he tries And to- obviously, like, the way George would have reacted to being refused the sweater and all that sort of stuff would have just, like, kind of... Snowball antagonized, antagonized that him. relationship. Yeah, and yeah. I think it, and I think the relationship died that night. Yeah. Like as soon as they met each other, it was over happened, before it, it started. It was over before it started. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe maybe the sweater had some sort of personal sentimental value to it, and the fact yeah. that George was insistent that he give him the cashmere sweater yeah. sort of like was a bit triggering. It's like, yeah. hang on, this this is not just a sweater. Who's this it's cashmere. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, I love how there was a reference to cashmere in the in the red dot because mm. that's the mm. one that George gets the yeah. cashmere sweater with the red dot on it. I yeah. love there was like a subtle reference to yeah. season two or three, whatever that was. Yeah, I think red it's dot. three. Uh, maybe yeah, two or three. I love I love how there was a reference to that that episode. Yeah. Very subtle. It's cashmere. 
Cashmere. George George obviously likes cashmere. Oh, he sure does. <laughs> it feels Just very not nice. to pay for it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Unless it has a red dot. Yeah. Go for your life. Um, anyway, yeah, so I, I, I thought that um, James played the role really well. Uh, I enjoyed Jason's character. And, yeah, he just seemed like a pretty straight-edge guy. But, you know, he was kind of tinkering and walking that, you know, metaphorical tightrope. Mm. And uh, one thing would basically tip him over the edge. And George, as we expected, happened to be the one that tipped him over the edge. I think it was like a temporary blip, though. I yeah. Think it, you know, like, like we said before, I don't think it completely... Derailed the fact his that he recovery. showed up at the Rager Hol- like the fact that he shows up in the later part of the episode seeking a support group to me says that he hasn't gone all the way back. It was just been like a blip yeah, sort of yeah. thing. You know, he was set off. He recognised that that was an issue, and he's gone back to seek help because he's seeing that his anger is, you know, whatever, like a, a contributing factor. Yeah, I think his commitment to recovery is greater or more powerful mm. than his hatred for George. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think happened um, at Baskin Robbins after he went mad? What uh, do you think? I would have just, if that was me, I would have just sat on the floor and eaten like an entire tub of ice cream until I vomited. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Cool. About that scene as well, I listened to uh, Signcast on this episode. Oh, yeah. Yep. And they made a point, and when I watched it again after listening to it, I, I understand what they mean. It was a weird sort of acting choice or directing choice when... Yeah. when um, when James. Jason, uh, you know, tells the kids to get out. Yeah. He kind of sounds like a 30s gangster. He's like, scram, see? Like, yeah. get out. See? It was yeah, just yeah. like a weird... Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Like, the way he, the, the way his voice can't sounds... Can't you see we're close? Yeah, he's like, can't <laughs> you see we're close? Scram. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, he, yeah. he sort of sounds like a 30s, like... Okay. You know, yeah, it's like, like a, weird, a weird acting choice. Like a third... Like, yeah. it just reminds me of like a, you know, you know... Chicago speakeasy, see? Like, yeah. it, 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 just the way his voice sounds. It's, the, yeah. it's, it was just very strange. It's like Hugh Frain, Roger Rabbit. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think that part was probably part improvised. And, and even, like, him saying, oh, there's no rum and raisin, but daiquiri ice, yeah, that looks good. Yeah. I was um, like, that's weird. Maybe that was improvised by James. You maybe. Know, maybe yeah. he just came up with a line. I don't yeah. Know, weird in that moment. But it's anyway, a very yeah. sudden mm. shift in his character from when mm. he's sort of standing there talking to George and then he gets a little irritated and then the kid comes in and you can sort of see he's being, like, pulled in different directions. But like that's what I mean, yeah. He's trying yeah. to be polite to the kid and then the, they're both pushing him and then yep. it's just sort of like Wah! but he that's snaps. what I mean yeah he snaps but that's what I mean I mean he's literally like one thing will set him over the edge you know mm. he's gone through all the steps and he has the sponsor who keeps him grounded but you know and and, and like we said George happens to be the one who uh, who does it well this is a good question for you Stace because you've dealt with a lot of uh, you know people rehabilitating their lives after yes. addiction and they yes. buckets is, of is, rum and raisin ice cream at home. is that Maybe. is that true even <laughs> that if, if that's what they did that'd be the least of their problems is is you know when they're trying to maintain sobriety and go through the steps or you mm. know whatever they're doing is it really fragile like can it just fall over really quickly like some small trigger like if they run into someone who you know, I mean, lighting. it very much depends on like the particular stage of change that that person is in. So, like, there's all this different stuff that obviously feeds into that. Um, so, someone's own sort of um, place of where they're at with their journey of change and what their intrinsic motivation is. So, there's obviously like different stages of change. Um, and at the different stages, people's sort of risk of, of relapse, there's, there's always risk of lapse or or full relapse in any sort of recovery process um but the own person's like readiness and motivation and goals to change and all that sort of stuff is a big factor things like you know situations that might set them off we call them high risk situations Mm. um or red flags so you know someone might identify that their anger is a red flag or certain peers or people that they might find themselves around a red flag certain times a day like all that sort of stuff so it is a really specific kind of individual 
um, process to work out like where you are, what supports you, what might get you unstuck and then, you know, what you're going to do about it if that situation occurs. And it's very much down to that person's, you know, kind of driving desire for change as to how hard they're willing, not that they're willing, but how much they can really contribute towards trying to continue with recovery in spite of those upheavals, I guess. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's a very, very individualistic deep. thing to answer. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, but, you know, you might find, you know, you might talk to people who have been, you know, clean and doing really, really well for like extended periods of time and then r- random little things, you know, can get in the way. Or <laughs> like Jason, like Stanky Hanky. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, you know, someone who's like, if his, if his recovery journey is to the point where he's already, you know, up to step nine, he has a sponsor, he's looking at getting back to work. Like we're, talk, we're probably talking about a recovery journey of like post six months, mm-hmm. you know, so it's not like he's just been sober for like a week, you know, for him to have already reached that level. He's probably been months and months and months that he's been working at this. So someone like George coming back on the scene and being enough of a trigger that he, you know, has this kind of meltdown in the ice cream shop goes to show how much things you know external environments or stresses can impact someone and how they're feeling and yeah very good take yeah. <laughs> as always <laughs> it's always good to have you on and uh, you know you talk about things I that you're uh, experiencing up on um, particularly poignant episodes yeah mental health too. alcoholism yeah. all those themes it's yeah. all my, my favorite things yeah of course <laughs> well we're just two idiots we'll just go oh, dicks <laughs> and you'll be like hang on Excuse me. Let's think about dicks. The phallus. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, um, that's all I have about um, Stanky Hanky. How about you two? Yeah, no more. Yeah. I just thought um, when you were talking before about his roles, not that he... Because doesn't Elaine say that when he first calls up to apologise, it's about like hitting on her or being inappropriate at a party? Do you remember what that was about? Um, but it's like something... It was something on those Oh, lines. no. Didn't yeah. he stand her up? Oh, yeah, something like that. It's something about a date. Yeah, and then, like, hearing you talk about his other roles that he's had, I feel like he's got got this, um, you know, he sort of has this kind of, his his acting work, at least, has this kind of sort of schmoozy, womanizer, kind of bad boy image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That he's portrayed in these various different roles that he's had. So I found that interesting when you were talking about his credits and sort of thinking, oh, that character, oh, uh, uh. He's obviously just the kind of guy that goes for that sort of authoritative role. Stuff. Yeah, it must well, be the bleached hair in the episode. More so, <laughs> he, like he always a bit seems to be the antagonist in some antagonistic, way. Oh yeah, the antagonist. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah, a bit is, kind yeah. of like not sleazy, but like a bit of a womanizer. And yeah. I feel like he's had like a few kind of personal things outside of his acting stuff that's goes along with that. So well, maybe yeah, he's that just such just an incredible a... actor that <laughs> he can pull it off. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, in real life he's Ned Flanders, but, <laughs> yeah. but you know, on yeah. screen is like a He's just a real like legitimate character actor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he yeah. is. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, good work. James. Mm. Anyway, uh Melissa, should we talk about her? Yeah. 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 She was played by uh, last week before I do mention it, Stace, you did mention that she was someone famous. I uh, thought that she had gone on to do further stuff and then I watched the episode today and I was like, nope, that no, was someone else. No, it wasn't uh <laughs> Someone Kirsten Dunst or, you know. No, I didn't think it was anyone like that. (laughs) But I felt like she was, you know, because a lot of Jerry's girlfriends throughout the show end up in a lot of other stuff afterwards. I felt like she was one of those ones, Uh but I was wrong. No, well, actually, she was played by uh, actress, TV host and model uh, Kathleen McLennan. She has appeared in the films Rattlesnake and Ladies Man. Never heard of those. (laughs) Um, And uh, for her modelling career, she's modelled for several brands. Uh, Some include Sky Vodka, Cherokee Jeans and L'Oreal Paris. Okay. Because you're worth. 
benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, there you go. Sponsored by L'Oreal this episode. She's uh, yes. definitely not an unattractive woman. So oh, it no. It surprised me to hear that she's done modeling. But uh, yeah, I thought for some reason that she'd gone on to like further significant roles. But yeah, probably significant commercials. Maybe. <laughs> Calvin yeah. Klein's a big one. Oh, huge. Yeah. yeah. Even Kramer was in an ad. So yeah. if he can get on, then anyone can. <laughs> so they've right? got high standards. <laughs> anyway, Melissa, yes. Uh, a nudist loves being nude. Um, I think when Jerry's making waffles in the opening scene, I think it's the first time that they have sex that night um, because, you know, she's nude. Obviously, they're nude and he gets dressed, wakes up to make breakfast. And, you know, normally I, I could imagine most of his girlfriends that he's been with have put on like a shirt or pants and walked out. And then she's just completely naked. So mm-hmm. I think it's mm. probably the first time the first time he's seen it and thought, oh, OK, you're just walking out naked. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I at first I was like, oh, she's like free spirited, and you know she doesn't like the shackles of clothing. But then as the episode goes on, she's actually quite judgmental about other people's nude bodies. Like yeah. it has to be only in certain circumstances. Yeah. And I know the good nude, good naked, and bad naked is kind of funny, and it's true in a way. Like you know, some some angles are less flattering than others, but you know, nudity as just a an idea is supposed to represent freedom and you mm. know liberty and stuff like that. So yeah, I found it to be quite. Not mean, but just quite shallow. Yeah, very about, shallow. In, yeah, like yeah. shallow in... Just, she's contradictory yeah, in her ideas. I think so. Because she's very happy to be naked and wandering around the house and doing all various activities. And then when Jerry comes out and she's like, what are you doing? And he talks about the sander and she's like, no, like, what are you doing, basically? Yeah, why are you what, naked? Why are you yeah. naked? But yeah, but yeah. Elaine says that, you know, the male form is like utilitarian, you know. It's like a jeep. You, it's like a jeep, yeah. It gets you around. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because she, she's actually one of the only secondary characters where we actually see her internal monologue. So we actually delve mm. into her subconscious. Oh, yeah. You know, when, when she sees Jerry as yeah, a monkey. Yeah, as, 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 a a a as a simian, like Elaine yeah. describes monkey. Yeah. yeah. I, like, I like how Jerry put his tongue up on his lip to let... Mm. Yeah, <laughs> to symbolise the more sort of like bulbous mouth. Yeah, yeah like the AP simian kind of mouth. Yeah. yeah. It's good. No, but it's funny because like I said, normally like we've seen internal monologues for Elaine, George and Jerry, never mm. for Kramer. You never yep. see his monologue. But we actually see one for Melissa, an, a one-off secondary character. So there we see go. her subconsciously thinking about Jerry naked and how repulsed she is. And that, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Like she's very judgmental. And he is very hairy oh, as he well, is. which yeah. contributes to the ape vibe. Mm. And her, her nudity around Jerry doesn't seem to be... I think it could be easy, easily interpreted as I know that the man I'm seeing likes seeing me naked, so I'll just do that to to you know to to please him, yeah, or to to do something nice for him. But it doesn't. It seems like a non-sexual nudity. No, yeah. I think. And I was thinking maybe she's like a model or something because I mean she's a model in real life. Yeah, Kathleen. And maybe was, yeah. you know, and like models like say backstage at at fashion shows and stuff. You know, there'd be a lot of mm. nudity and stuff, and you know, a lot of the time their model would not be so close. I think she's naked. just comfortable with. No clothes on, or little to no clothing on. So it's like a not. It's just like yeah, cool, like clothes, <laughs> no clothes. Yeah, there's no like, there's no difference. Why are we invited to these things? Why don't we do a podcast in a you know backstage of a, a Victoria's Secret or something? Because where's our invitation? We never get invited to these things. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> well, I from, I, I've, I've never had a desire to be no at a backstage of a show, so I have no answer. Oh, Fair enough. All that frolicking in the background. <laughs> I think um, when I was sort of, I had a similar kind of thing to you. You know, in the beginning. Um, parts of the storyline with the nude lady, Melissa, I was thinking like, oh, she's, you know, a bit of a hippie, kind of like free. I was just sort of thinking like what kind of person would be so comfortably naked around someone that they don't really know super well? Like, yes, obviously they've slept together, but that's a different level of comfort and familiarity to be just nude 24-7. But then as the show continues on, I'm like, well, she's not 
hippie or chill or easygoing. As you said, she's a little bit harsh and judgmental on Jerry and she doesn't seem to have any sort of like understanding or reverence because Jerry makes a couple of quite subtle comments about, you know, when she's straining with the pickle jar and trying to open the bike, uh, fix the bike and stuff. He makes some subtle comments about, oh, you don't need to do that. (laughs) And she doesn't click at all. Mm. So I found it an interesting kind of thing to try and think about the kind of person that would be a nudist and what we associate with those ideas and then the way she portrays the character, you know, the way that the character behaves in the show because it is that sort of contradictory um, nature. And then, yeah, the fact that she is so quick to sort of point out to Jerry and say, like, this isn't good naked Mm. when he's just walking around, but she's done all these other, you know, strenuous activities. Yeah, Yeah, she doesn't have a lot of self-awareness. No. She doesn't. She can repair bikes pretty well. Yeah, she's very very handy. Yeah, she is. She can open the olive jars and repair bikes and she's good at Scrabble. Yeah, she is. You know, she comes up with Zephyr, Mm -hmm. which is a real word. And Jerry's like, that's not a word. And she's quite intelligent. I think she's reading, what, the New York Times or, you know, a newspaper. She seems like a bit of an enigma of a character. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's hard to describe. Enigma wrapped in female... Human flesh. Yeah, mm. I guess. and an enigma wrapped in no clothes. Yeah, <laughs> the emperor with no clothes. Lady Godiva, as Jerry <laughs> refers yeah. to Lady Godiva. One thing I noticed, and I don't know if it, you know, can add to a character or if you can sort of like get much out of it, is she had a toe ring. Yeah. And I was, th- did, and yeah. I always think yes. of like toe rings in the 90s as being like, I don't know, you know, if a woman had a toe ring, I would just assume, well, she probably likes Alanis Morissette and Jewel. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Something yeah. like that. She's probably a singer-songwriter in her own right. Oh, no, no, no. Not, not that mean? she... No, no, no. Just that she would be a fan of that sort of music. It's oh, just right. It's just that association of like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's all. Cool. Um, yeah. Who will say I feel like the toe ring is the most nudist associated part mm. of her character. Yeah, I kind of like, you know, in terms of like a line of thought, I think yeah. of like Alanis Morissette, Jewel... You know, hippie-ish like crystals and horoscopes. Alternative new age, alternative Not hippies, new age, but like new age, but still like you know, work a nine to five job yeah, and yeah, a capitalist yeah. with just yeah. a bit of hippie, you know, new age spices new age, on yeah. top. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she doesn't come like the way she is with Jerry. Yeah, like she, there's no there's no display of those tendencies. No, mm. no, it's just yeah. a few like superficial little. It's things. a weird character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very strange. Yeah. Anyway, now she was played. Um, she did pretty well, Kathleen. Oh, yeah, good acting. Good acting, yeah. Yeah, a bit of a confusing... Yeah. Yeah, It was a very weird... That whole subplot was a bit strange, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I did like the thing where, like, at the end where there's like, okay, clothes, like, clothes is good, and then they're sitting there and Jerry just sees her, like, nakedly Yeah, fantasising, yeah. It's her... uh, It's his internal monologue, yeah. And then then obviously with she seeing him as the monkey man, I just... That's right. Yeah, I found that amusing. Scratching the bugs out of his hair or something. Yeah, Yeah, he's like, I'm going to get a haircut. And then she imagines him scratching his hair like an ape. They're both just like, oh, well, that's cooked. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I mean, I can imagine, you know, in the writing room or whatever, when they're trying to throw around ideas for subplots, you know, good naked and bad naked. That to me just sounds like a Jerry and Larry thing that they came up with one day over coffee. They're like, you know, there's good naked and bad naked. But can there be bad d- naked? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. that's what I mean. Like, oh, right, right, right. That's thing is like, yeah. can you even have bad naked? And, and then they like, have to yeah, think of sure ideas. Yeah. But to turn that into like uh, a storyline in a show that isn't confusing is... I imagine yeah. it must be from a writing point of view, it must be pretty tough. Yeah, like how do you how do you show that com- comedically without it being like, why is this woman just naked all the time? Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to like link it back to something that's relatable mm. as a viewer because you're like, it, it, yeah, it's, it's it's odd. Yeah, it's mm, yeah. yeah, it's it's very good camera work as well. I love how like the camera cuts just to under you know her chin. And yeah, then good angles Jerry, and stuff. Good angles, and then you see like Jerry's you know upper you know, his torso, and it, I love how the newspaper blocks the lower half of him. I think 
He's yeah. really, really smart. Very good camera work. And Jerry's in pretty good shape, I must say. He's got, oh, a, he is, he's got yeah. a pretty good pretty good body. Well, we have commented in the past that Jerry, uh, you he's know, an athletic he's got guy. an athletic guy. Yeah, he's, he plays sports and yeah, loves, uh, loves his sports. tennis and squash. And, and he's, well, the Jerry Seinfeld baseball, character yeah, in the show yep. is open about sort of being particular about what he eats mm. to also stay in shape. So yeah. it doesn't surprise me that he is in good shape. Mm. Yeah, that's he's true. He's a little bit vain. You know, he lies about his gene size and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, yeah. it doesn't shock us. No, and even when he's casual at home, his shirts are always yeah. tuck, pressed and tucked in and stuff. Mm. So, yeah, he, he definitely takes some pride in his appearance. Very mm. neat man. Yeah, it's just a shame that relationship ended. Anyway, so <laughs> should we talk about uh, any other characters? Yeah, let's talk about Peggy. Yeah, let's Peggy. talk about Peggy. The yes. third major secondary. The third major secondary, yes. She's played by Megan Cole, and she has appeared in The Susie, and I'm pretty sure she's appeared in another episode or two, maybe in season nine. I don't know. Maybe in the background at, at yeah, um, Jay Peterman. You know, she might have just like had a line or two. Yeah, but maybe I, she, I, she was she in the finale as well, maybe. Yeah, maybe. but I don't think she's had any major roles. No, nah, of course not. Mm. No. Anyway, yes. Uh, yeah, well, like we were saying before, she's definitely, I guess, a sexual prude. Yes. Mm, she sure is. Yeah. I thought maybe it links back to like maybe she's religious in yeah, her private life. like Putty as well. Putty's a Christian. Yeah. So I think there's parallels between her and Putty. Yeah. I think she is a Christian as well as a germaphobe. Mm. Oh, well, she's a germaphobe, but I think she's also religious too. Yeah. Like Putty, yeah. I think I think the, the, the sort of the, the harsh judgment of Elaine's sex life, which Elaine like very... Uh, you know, importantly points out is none of her business. Of course. Mm. Is, is sort of like, I think two things come into it is that sort of, um, I think before we started recording, you said that, you know, you could understand how someone who is a germaphobe could be fearful of someone else's sex life. Yeah. You know, because obviously. Risk. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's not just informed by her germophobia. No, I, think it's also, I don't think so It, it seems to be more of like a, Judgmental. Like a morality, yes. Like, like underpinned right. by morality Very rather much than just so. the, yeah. Because I was going to say he, she does take Walter's uh, water bottle and he's already drunk out of it, so she has yeah selective germophobia. Yeah, selective germophobia, but like her disdain and fear of contact with Elaine is informed by her knowledge of Elaine's like sexual behaviour. Mm-hmm. Yep. So she has this level of, um, you know, like probably you know, conservative Christian background, but there's also the age difference. You Mm. know, Peggy is a fair bit older than Elaine. She's probably from the generation where you didn't have extramarital sex, you know, or you weren't supposed to have... (laughs) Oh, you weren't supposed to, but I'm I'm sure extramarital sex has been around for But, like, the way that she looks down on Elaine and perceives Elaine as being dirty because she has, you know, multiple sexual partners at any one time to me, says that Peggy herself wouldn't have engaged in that kind of behaviour mm-hmm. or, you know, very little of it. Or maybe she has some skeletons in her closet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, true. Yeah. Maybe she's hiding really her see... indiscretions, you know? I mean, maybe unless, she's her, unless her judgment and fear of Elaine is based on her own, like, internalised guilt about her previous behaviour, I don't necessarily really see those things going together. But I just think she's, like, she's a bit of a fussy old prude, yeah. really. Yeah. And I don't think it's... I don't think it's just about Elaine sleeping with different guys. Like, I think there's some sort of, you know, personality thing that also informs the way that she doesn't really like yeah, Elaine, I, the way I, she treats her. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you can sort of delineate into three things. It's, it's a personal dislike of Elaine just maybe because she's like, you know, Elaine's a bit more brash and mm-hmm. a bit more confident. Yeah. Uh, a bit like a bit more, quote unquote, like behaviorally speaking in an office, a bit more masculine. Whereas Peggy's a bit more corporate. Yeah. And a know. bit more subdued and a bit yep. more sort of old fashioned. Yep. Um, and also her sex life and also the germophobia. I think all those three things, she would treat 
she would keep Elaine at a distance, even if she wasn't a germophobia or mm. even if she wasn't a prude. Yeah. One of, yeah. All of those things individually would cause friction, but together they seem to cause a lot of disdain. Yeah. 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 And you see it when they're in the female toilets as well. Like yeah. Peggy uses she puts that the, seat. The seat protector. Yeah, the seat protector, yeah. And even though it's only just her and Elaine because everyone else cleared out. Mm. They're the only females on the floor. Yeah. 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 Which is like an irrational fear of Elaine's like you know, dirtiness, yeah. quote unquote, yeah. because of the fact that she sleeps with men who aren't her boyfriend. Mm. Yeah. Um, she mustn't think that Elaine has a shower. You yeah. Know, and, you know. Ugh, who knows what she thinks? Yeah. Um, but it's funny because obviously, you know, then Elaine like confronts her in the office and she sort of says, you know, what her problem is. And then Elaine goes about rubbing Peggy's keyboard on her butt yeah, and that's putting right. a stapler, yeah. stapler in her armpits. I like and how like she clicks the coffee. stapler twice. Yeah. Yeah. I can just I reckon it would have been really funny just as like a little visual gag or a visual addition to the gag if like two little staples popped out. Oh yeah. As well. Like fun. you know, just, yeah. maybe the cameras couldn't pick them up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So small. Um, but I love when she coughs on the um door the, handle. Door handle yeah, both like, sides <laughs> too. <laughs> <laughs> but Peggy's sitting there with like a Peggy's hands taking a over her face because she's like so disgusted by what's going on and it's just like completely blown away. I was thinking as well, because she's got germaphobe which you said is you know it's a real thing but it's it's illogical uh i'm guessing her um you know her sickness is mostly in her head as well yeah, I mean, yeah. you know she may have contracted like a mild a cold or something from 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 elaine from the doorknob yeah. or it could just be a coincidence yeah you know yeah. like well elaine's like straight up calls out at the board meeting and yeah. says like this woman is insane the yeah. only reason she's sick is because she thinks i've infected her because i rubbed her keyboard on my butt yeah and then she goes what a wacker yeah, you know, yeah, like, I, yeah. I'm pretty I mean, sure you're the wacko Elaine for doing that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know much about psychological disorders, but I would imagine that there's some correlation between germophobia and hypochondria. You know, like yeah. an, an exaggeration of threat. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and so, you can have psychosomatic symptomology like that's related to things. So if you have a strong enough belief that being exposed to those germs would make you sick, you can actually start to like manifest feelings of illness, mm-hmm, right? Yeah, because of your belief. You know, it's that, yeah, anyway. The only logical reaction from Peggy is her spewing up her food when she finds out that Kramer made it in the bath. That's oh, reasonable. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, like, that's very reasonable. I mean, even, even Elaine does. But even, you know, Paddy's a reformed germaphobe yeah. and then yeah. Peggy and is a reformed, well, a semi-reformed after a week germaphobe and yeah. Elaine's just a casual, you know, person with no phobias. And yeah, like, even I'd be pretty disgusted. I mean, it makes... That'd be enough for me to go to germaphobes anonymous. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I, I never prepared re- it as I be. <laughs> <laughs> I never realised the parallel between uh, Paddy being a reformed germaphobe for 10 years um, and also Jason, you know, starting his recovery, you know, from alcoholism, like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the, re- the recovery journeys in this. St- yeah. Like obviously plot. putty, different, yeah. different reasons to, well, different situations, but, and, and putty's much further along, mm, yeah. but you know, that's, I don't know. I don't know whether it was a it's coincidence or see everyone like at me. Yeah. Yeah. And, George and they're all at different up. points of the recovery too. Yeah. 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 Which is good. It's funny. I guess it's a commentary on any like phobias or, isms you know alcoholism and stuff you know it's kind of a commentary yeah that it affects anyone and people are at different stages in their life definitely to try and recover from it mm. anyway um should, should we talk about the sponsor yeah yeah i i didn't get his acting credits really weird i looked everywhere couldn't find him but yeah if, if you know who it is let us know I'm, maybe I'm he was just like a last minute cast from the crew or something oh, who knows? you know i don't know i yeah. think that's been in an episode or two where you know in the episode there's been a secondary and you yeah. think oh they should be mm. they should have some some sort of credit. Well, but he's in fo- multiple scenes. Mm. Yeah, he. Oh, yeah, at least two or three. Yeah. And he's in a one-on-one dialogue with mm. Jason or George. 
Mm. So, yeah, like you, I'm surprised that we don't have anything for him. But anyway. No, really weird. Anyway, yeah. Um, the sponsor, I think he's, well, obviously as part of his job, very grounded person. Um, he definitely keeps Stanky Hanky in line. And uh, he sees that George is in some pain mm. psychologically. And, you know, he thinks, George thinks that he's going to go and, you know, confront uh, Jason, but uh, no, it turns out that the sponsor thinks that George is indeed the one that needs yeah. that help after so many years of turmoil and yeah. uh, psychological, I guess, trauma from his parents and uh, his rage issues and everything like that. He, and so I think the sponsor is one of the only people on the show who really saw that George had issues and needed help. Mm. Well, I and think he was like of, a sal- he was like his salvation. I think a lot of people, yeah. I think everyone sees that George had issues, but he's one of the only people that would actually, do something. Oh, would do something. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, intervene yeah. and actually try and help yeah. him. Yeah, I was thinking though, like even though his motivation is good. And he sees rage in George. Do you think without he didn't trick him to attend the thing, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't upfront. He, he didn't yeah. say like, "Look, I think we should go to a rageaholics." Yeah. Um, uh, sorry, together. Uh, not rageaholic. Rageaholics yeah, Anonymous. Yeah, so it is rageaholic. Yeah, okay. that's right. But what would you uh, think like if if he said to George straight out, "Let's do this," George would be like, "I don't have rage." No, I I understand Which that. Which is but exactly like, his reaction. <laughs> yeah, right. But like if if that bread has nuts. If that were me, and someone confronted me and said, "Look, I think you've got an issue. I want to help you." I might not like that confrontation, but I'd feel less annoyed than if someone said, "Oh, we're doing this, but we're actually doing this other thing." I'd feel a bit sort of tricked. Mm. Yeah, um, and it would. He's and not it would overt when he t- says to George, "Ah, oh, I think you should come along to a meeting." He yeah. doesn't say. I think you should come along to a meeting because I believe that you need help or that you might find it helpful or whatever. Yeah. Mm. He doesn't make it as something that's going to be relative to George personally. He sort of makes it seem like it's going to be, as you said, he's going along with this confrontation of um, of Hanky and then under, you know, the pretense of just getting George to a meeting and then it sort of... it turns out that it's rageaholics obviously george sort of seems to think that it's going to be the alcoholics anonymous and all that sort of stuff so <laughs> yeah. it is it is a little bit underhanded yeah. but it also doesn't surprise me that someone who has the lived experience and identifies that issue within george might try that approach mm. yeah because obviously you can't you know confront them head on you got to kind of do well, ways to coerce them there's right? lots of different ways that you might approach it but like for someone who's as blocked to the idea of change as george is that could be a way, you know, you get someone to sort of sit with that and maybe they identify some sort of connection with it. But obviously, as we know, George just completely rejects it. And I think a lot of people would probably feel, you know, sort of swindled yeah. as you're referring yeah. to. Do you think it's a case like if this would happen in real life where the 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 sponsor probably knows that there is a bit of dishonesty in how he's getting George to the meeting, but for the greater good. Yes. Yeah. If, like yeah. it's like, well, I'm happy to I'm happy to lose a bit of trust and a bit of I'm happy for George to be pissed off at me if it means that he actually gets to a meeting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. that's a price that he's willing to pay. Yeah, yeah. I think he's, that, he was willing to do that sacrifice. Yeah, you make it. Yep. Because okay. the whole idea of obviously like sharing stories in those like the twelve step programs and stuff. The whole idea of like sharing stories is to sort of like identify things that you have in common with other people or learn from other people's journeys. So like if he'd said to George, "I think you should come to a Rageaholics Anonymous meeting with me," George would have said fuck off mm. <laughs> yeah. um whereas perhaps his idea was maybe george will go he'll hear other people sharing and he'll have some sort of like identifying moment with what they're saying and then kind of reflect on his own behavior i think that was what he was hoping for obviously it doesn't go to plan well george sort of comes around to it because he, he turns up at the yeah, end you know that's true yeah you know? 
But he's like so enraged in that interaction with <laughs> Jerry at the diner. Obviously, yeah. we were talking about that on the way over here and saying how like it was really kind of hammed up. Yeah. Like yeah. George is increasingly becoming more and more aggressive and like just losing the plot as he self describes losing the plot as the show continues but we both felt like that degree of anger that he displays in that interaction in the diner was just a bit bit dialed up yeah well that that was the idea yeah, yeah. i think yeah. yeah no but we definitely saw like what george is capable of yeah. in terms of his built-in rage you know yeah and now i've been told i gotta bottle it up losing it yeah, I mean, to me, this is one of the most petty George storylines of his happy. His yeah, like I can understand why he thinks he's owed an apology because you know that's pretty mean to be at embarrassed. a party. Yeah, like that's that's pretty embarrassing. Yeah, um, but at the same time, like I think anyone with any sort of level of self awareness or empathy would go, "What's more important, this person's recovery or me demand an <laughs> apology and potentially disrupt or derail yeah. this mm. person's, you know." Uh, recovery from alcoholism, yeah. but George is so self-centered; he mm-hmm. doesn't even think about he that. Yeah. Even the apology that is the apology option. is his motivation. He doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't care. He yeah. doesn't care where it comes from, and that's yeah. how selfish George really is. And that's yeah. why and like, we love him. Even the fact yeah. that when he's talking about it in that initial thing, he sort of makes and several times makes the comment about the apartment being drafty. Yep. So in George's head, I can see how he's considered that like this man has invited me to his a party at his apartment which is drafty and therefore I am entitled to use of his warmest cashmere sweater and the fact that he gives him the MetLife like jersey wind, wind or windsheeter yeah, wind yeah. and he even makes a comment about like a free, the free MetLife, you know, windbreaker or whatever. So it's like George has got this sense of entitlement of like you've brought me to your drafty apartment, you owe me this sweater and the fact that he was only given the windbreaker means that there's like this contract that's now owing (laughs) for him. But you know that the way he would have approached even asking to borrow a jacket. Like if you went to a friend's house and it was cold, you'd be like, oh, I'm a bit chilly. Can I borrow a hoodie or something? Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't sit there and stipulate that you needed a cashmere sweater. So like I can see why he might have refused the request in the beginning because of the way George would have gone about asking for use of the sweater. So do you think Jason's, you know, um, I mean, George stretching out the neck hole was an excuse? I mean, I think, like, he would have, as we were sort of speaking about, you know, they instantly got off on the wrong foot. Yeah. I think that's because of the way that George asked to borrow something warm and instead of just asking would have stipulated, you know, like, can you make it cashmere or (laughs) whatever. And then, you know, him doing that has brought about some sort of reaction in Jason and then Jason Hankey. Oh, this is getting very confusing. Yeah, I know Jason and George. Yeah, it was weird. It was stanky weird. hanky. It was weird. Jason calling someone Jason yes. as the character of George. Yes. Yeah. Um. So the way that George would have asked stanky hanky for the sweater would have meant that he would have been like, no, nah, no, I don't want to give you the sweater. And then maybe that's what led him to make the comment about the neck hole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that was Ooh. hard to explain. Yeah, no, it makes sense. <laughs> we got there in the end. We uh, did. I think that's all for the secondaries. Yep. Yeah, that's all I have. Episode. Let's take a quick break. And uh, after that, we'll see where the episode falls in our top episodes we've reviewed so far. Cute. And uh, yeah. Wrap up the episode. Let's do it. I feel I got to get the apology. Is there anybody else here but you? I'm alone. And it's my second day, and you know, I don't even think we have that flavor. So, George, really, enough, okay? You know, I admitted I was wrong. What more do you want from me? I would like an apology. All right, look, you know... Did you try it? No, Scott doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Okay? I'm interacting with someone here, if you can understand that. Now, I'm sorry. Ah! There it is! 
is. You just said it. That's what I want. Now say it again and tell it to me. I'm not anything. I'm not sorry. I was never sorry. It was cashmere. I hate step nine. This week we spoke about Season 9, Episode 9, The Apology and its secondary characters. And uh, like we normally do, we rank the episodes that we have reviewed. Uh, we have done, what, 120-something episodes of Bidwabask, but we've reviewed 104 episodes. So, Stephen, out of that 104, where does The Apology sit in your episodes of all time? Uh, number 81. 81, okay, so pretty low on the list. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I was saying at the start that... George's storyline I didn't really care for I think because the rage was you know it was George but it was almost too much George um, and it just felt a bit over the top um, I liked Kramer's storyline oh yeah in the shower <laughs> yeah the the <laughs> yeah. nude stuff like I liked the what the nude stuff the jokes that the nude stuff was trying to get across was funny like good mm. naked and bad naked because mm. it's you know it's it's, yeah. it's simple and relatable I've used that in yeah. real life like yeah, that it's, it's a good has quote. definitely come up yeah. Yep. And sometimes, you know, like if you're naked or something and you stretch or move in a weird way, you go like, oh. Yeah. You know, th- I think good naked and bad naked is a thing. And yeah. it's relatable and it's just charming and simple mm. and fun. Um, I like Elaine's storyline. But, yeah, I just... it, it Some of it as well didn't feel too... Co- like Coherent, yeah. Yeah. It's it, a bit lacking. I mean, it all came parts, together yeah. at the end yeah. in a way, but it just... Some of the cohesion felt a bit forced. It didn't feel natural. Mm. So, yeah, what about you? Well, for me, uh, actually, I enjoyed it a little bit more than I thought. Uh, Number 56. Okay. So, yeah, no, I, I... I liked most of the plots. Yeah, the Jerry the Jerry one was a bit strange, but I did enjoy the Kramer and the Elaine ones as well. And uh, I, I actually I found it quite poignant that uh, there was actually someone in the form of the sponsor trying to help George with his mm. issues that we have seen for the last eight and a half seasons or so. Yeah. So, uh, well, you know, eight and a bit seasons by that point. So I think, you know, that was a chance for George to, in a way, kind of redeem himself for everything he's done. But uh, he's so bullish you know, and he's got a big bulbous head. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but uh, yeah, he's just a really selfish guy. And I, I, I liked how there was like a chance at, uh, for him to redeem mm. himself, but he just didn't take it. He was so self-centered and all he wanted for, for that whole episode was an apology, you know, even though he didn't really care for the apology. I think he just wanted to one-up Jason. Yeah, it wasn't the apology. He just wanted to win. To win, to win. And the more he couldn't have it, the more he wanted it. And the more angry he got. Yeah. So, yeah, I quite quite like that aspect because usually we do know that George is doing all these things and we observe, but I like how there was actually a character who was actually pretty keen to try and help him. Mm. Yeah. I thought that was nice. Yeah. But, yes. And Uh, I I enjoyed it. I got got quite a few laughs out of it. Yeah. I know you don't have a official list, but you rate the episode. Is it from Your very scale. bad? There's like classic, very good and good, okay. or like mid-range, sorry. So, yeah, mid-range, very good, and then classic. And right. then the, the lowest rank is slightly better than the Best Friends episode. That's like the <laughs> lowest ranking, right? I have not really watched no? Friends. Okay, yeah. Some okay. people um, like Friends as well as Seinfeld. Oh, hey, nothing wrong with that. Not that not there's anything wrong, wrong with that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I beg to differ. Where does the episode <laughs> rank for you? A classic, um, right? No, I assume. <laughs> no, it's not a classic. I'd yeah. say it's probably... I mean, I feel like the good naked, bad naked reference kind of has held out for a really long time, which makes the men- the episode itself very memorable. It's certainly part of the lexicon. For sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, like, for that reason, I would say it's very good. Um, okay. But in terms of you, I think I'm similar. Like, some of the storylines I really enjoyed. I love Elaine um, mm. in this and, you know... Yeah, Jerry, yeah, not so much. Like he's whinging about his girlfriend being naked in front of him all the time. Well, and like, like, bit... like George says, you spoiled, spoiled yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. Like, just, and just it's, go it's along very with it, Jerry. Yeah, like yeah. he's so superficial and he finds like the smallest thing gets under his skin and then he just fixates on it. So like, you know, that's, yeah. 
I'd say very good. Okay. okay. Yep. Excellent. Cool. Any of the secondary characters appear in your top 20, Ivan? Uh, no. You? Okay. Nah. No. Any nah. secondaries of note that you enjoyed more I mean, than well, others? I mean, Putty, obviously, Putty, but yeah, like course, I've already yeah. spoken about how much yeah. I love Putty. Nobody else. Yeah. You're Peggy a, pisses yeah. me off. I don't like Petty. She's a <laughs> slut shamer. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, actually, you were with us for our David Putty episode. Yeah. What's the deal with? months ago. Yeah. yeah. I think it was late I last year, early this putty. year. It was around yeah. Christmas, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was around Christmas. Yeah. So you were with us. Yeah. So go back and if you'll know more about the great man, David Putty and Patrick Warburton, go back and the three of us were talking about him. Yeah, that's you'll, right. You'll find it on the, on the RSS feed there. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, that is another episode of Bidwabask. Thank you so much for listening. And Stephen, I'm really glad that you're back. Um, so thanks. am I. Yeah, I'm glad you're here, mate. And Stacey, thank you so much for being with us for a couple of weeks. My pleasure. It's been great having you. And yeah. uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on social media at Bidwabask, B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C. Those links are in the show notes. We do have an email address, Steve, if you'd like to contact us. Say hey. Yeah, it's in the show notes as well. podcast at gmail.com. That's right. Uh, you can check us out on Patreon for all the bonus content as well. And if you want to make a one-off donation, hit us up on PayPal. Yes. And uh, that is it. Yeah, that is it. Next week, we are going to season three. Uh, we're talking about the parking space. Nice. So yeah, that'll be a fun one. Good episode. Very good episode indeed. So yeah, hopefully I might see you next week, Stace. I'm not sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. find out. We'll find yeah. out. <laughs> You'll either be there or you won't. Exactly. Either one way or another. My name's I'll Ivan. I'll be good baked or bad baked. <laughs> bad baked. Good baked or bad baked? I said baked. good baked. Oh. Like baked, baked. Anyway. I was just trying to say you were going to get baked. No. No. <laughs> Anyway. Nope. Nope. Not yet. My name's Ivan. I'm Stephen. I'm Stacey. (laughs) Just kidding. And yeah, we'll be back next week for the parking space. You take care of yourself. See ya. (laughs) 